welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 11th, otherwise known as National Submarine Day. With me as always are Benny Wade and Mike Montgomery. A couple of sailors. I don't know, do you call somebody on a submarine a sailor? Maybe not. Maybe a submariner? There you go. It sounds like I'm on a submarine right now. If you guys hear some background noise, I'm not at my house where I normally record the podcast. I'm at my workshop and there's some... Uh, construction going on they're putting on a new ceiling so there may be some intermittent stapling in the background some nailing going on in the background is there anything that's going on that interrupts your normal workflow it's getting there so they're starting to encroach that part of the shop and i'm like no one said anything to me like how are we gonna go about this and like (laughs) they're working they started doing this when you guys were here and like, I remember they worked at the door on the other side of the warehouse. So they're just slowly moving their way to or towards you. Yeah. So basically, like, if you look at the ceiling, it's broken up into like, you know, 15 large sections or whatever, like between beams. And they, it seems like they were doing sort of like a section every two days where they'd put all the wood up and then they would paint it all the next day. And I'm like, man, it's going to take like six months for them to finish this thing. And they're going to be working above my space for like several weeks if they're going at this rate. So I'm like, I need to just talk to this guy and be like, hey, you got to hire like 15 guys to come in here and knock this out in a day. Yeah, you guys, whatever, whatever happens above my workshop, we got to get this thing moving. Yeah, like I'm fine having them here working, but like I just don't, or I don't know, maybe I'll lean into it and I'll just be like standing under scaffolding for a whole project. Yeah. Right on. So what have you been doing while while they're putting the the roof on or the ceiling? It's not the roof. It's the ceiling. The ceiling it's on yeah. the inside. Yep. Yeah. Been, while they're doing the ceiling, what are you up to? I've still been, I'm like just on the tail end of the project that I've already talked about, the live edge cabinet thing. So the next, hopefully, maybe today, like as soon as we finish up the podcast, I'm just going to go work for several hours and try to finish up as much as I can. But it's pretty much just all like the fine tuning and the sanding and the finishing, all that stuff now. So Happy to be on the end of that one. And now I'm just kind of thinking about what I'm going to build next. I've been putting that off for some reason. Um, But the next project that I want to do is going to be for Hikoki, my cordless tool sponsor. And so I want to do something very DIY where I try to only use those tools. So I'm thinking circular saw, maybe jigsaw, drills, sanders, one of those types of like, you know, fewer tools sort of builds. I don't know what to build though yet. So I don't know if you guys want to workshop that, if you got any ideas, what's something. Well, what do you do? need? Nothing. What do you need? Do you need anything for the I new office space? That's just joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what everyone needs that makes YouTube videos. Table. They lend themselves to outdoor furniture, I think, relative to. Yeah. And now's a good time of year for that, too. Right. Oh, big time. Spring coming. So if you're going to use, I mean, outdoor furniture is always going to be a little bit more beat up because of the, the UV exposure. So using tools that are a little bit more crude and not quite as precise yeah, seems sort of appropriate for that kind of stuff. And you could do them outside right in the setting. Maybe I can Ooh, do here's a, another. Th- oh, while they're putting on my ceiling, that'll get me out of the shop. It's a good idea. Oh, that's a good point. And I was at my local Home Depot and I noticed for whatever reason, the shipment of two by fours and two by sixes were incredibly white. They were really light colored and they had like no knots. Uh-oh, so this is so that time. got me really thinking about some two by four or two by six projects. So since you're doing simple tools, maybe simple materials too. Yeah. Some maybe, some like outdoor dining table furniture say, or something like that. To, to redeem the patio, the patio or the, exactly. <laughs> the picnic table. That's what it was. That's it. Yeah. I'll redeem you on it. What do you have? What do you, 
do your own modern like, picnic one, table, you mean? Like, I'll say that. Yeah, exactly. Throw some nails. Well, on what would you do that would make it better? That thing is the pinnacle of outdoor picnic tables, if you ask me. I don't know, man. I'm gonna have to just rewatch that video and refine. Yeah. All right. So, what do you have? That, what do you have space for outdoors? Anything, man. The, the world's my really. Answer. Yeah, I mean, I'll. I'll I could use a, a. We don't have an outdoor like eating table, so. Yeah, that could be got fun. A, we got a birthday party coming up in a couple of weeks, so maybe I can bust that out real quick. I would make Whoa. a wooden umbrella. A wooden umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> that will fly away at the first gust of wind. Like a wooden framed umbrella or where the... the Some sort the, of shade structure, right? I okay. think it could be interesting. And I think that's called a pergola. No, just joke. I call right. it a wooden umbrella. <laughs> Some, something, well, I was thinking something more that has like a, a, a pergola, I always think of having sort of four columns yeah, yeah, yeah. or posts. I think a... I was thinking something that was more in between an umbrella and like a bus stop kind of covering. Okay. Like <laughs> right, can, right, right. Right. Or something that's kind of operable and mechanical with some wing nuts and canvas and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do like the idea of something outdoors, maybe because it, I mean, it does all kind of lend itself to that with like the construction going on, plus the time of year, plus the type of tools I'm going to be using. So. I'll, I'll definitely percolate on that for a bit and try to come up with something. Also, most outdoor furniture is kind of chunky and ugly. So seeing how opportunity how there. thin and right how your sort of thinner and angular design aesthetic could translate to furniture that tends to want to be a little bit thicker and more heavy duty yeah. and more weather resistant, I think that would be interesting. The other thing, if you don't go with the sort of basic two-by lumber kind of thing, mm-hmm. Well, in, in Southern California, we, we get a lot of redwood at the sort of big box home improvement centers. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of an option. Looking at redwood fence boards are, are pretty affordable. So they're like five-eighths to three-quarters of an inch thick. Mm-hmm. And it's an it's a outdoor lumber that's readily available and weathers really well. Do and they then if sell you, or do they make like two-by material that's redwood also? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, we used it for a chicken coop a while back. And then the the more hardwood option would be, again, looking for some tropical hardwood decking and, yeah. and doing something out of that. Yeah, I've done a little bit of stuff with cedar fence boards because redwood, redwood is available in California, similar to how cedar is available right. in Oklahoma. And whenever I did the outdoor kitchen a couple of years ago, that's what I built all the cabinets out of. And it was really cool. All you got to do is just chop off the top of the fence post where it's got the, the little angles to make the pickets. And it's just, it's pretty clean. It's needs to run through a planer if you're going to do it as like a table surface or anything like that, but it weathers really, really well. And if you use spar varnish, it weathers especially well. And I've done two coats. Actually, my mom has done two coats every year on that outdoor kitchen and it still looks really, really great. So with like minimal maintenance, it's, it's done really well. I don't know why, but for some reason, like when you tell me to just like picture a picnic table in my head, I'm picturing like very bright pops of color. Ooh, Can yeah. you paint redwood or would like the oil yeah. in it not make no. the paint bond well? It's, it's a soft wood, so you could paint it. Okay. The, the other thing, we have a whole bunch of, out here in Joshua Tree, we have a whole bunch of those six by six cedars posts mm-hmm. Yeah, and two by six cedar. So if you want to bring the ridge line out and get a, a truckload <laughs> of... The, I was about to say the outdoor shop is open and available. Right. <laughs> yeah. the, what do you guys need? That's an outdoor table. The the two by 
I could use an outdoor table. There you go. The two oh, by yeah, six. Oh, yeah, for the container house. Yeah. The two by six cedar, I use that for that outdoor sofa. We have a ton of that, and it's really nice. It's it's incredibly straight. It has a nice color to it and stuff like that, too. So if you if you need some material and don't want a special order or anything. Yeah, maybe that... If I was going to do that, yeah, I think I would probably just go out there and say, I'll just spend two or three days hanging out there and, and building something. But I'm going yeah. to come up with some ideas. I got a couple days because I got the, I have to edit these two videos. I got to finish this project up. So I'm going to be working on something in the background. I'll come up with it and then hopefully start within like the next week. Right on, right on. What do you got going on, Ben? What's in your world? Um, let's see. I'm working on another sofa. This time, an indoor sofa made out of plywood. Man, you got sofas I think- like I got coffee tables. Exactly. <laughs> so this will be the actual sofa inside the container house. And with a very kind of 70s modern look, plywood uh, structure. And then I am showing options for using ready-made hairpin legs. And then also showing how to weld up uh, sort of more specialty legs or a base for it. And pretty much done. Just got to do the, the cushions. So Yeah, I've seen a little bit of the sofa. I like it a lot. I think just using... So basically what you did is the the sofa itself is all plywood, which I think is really smart. And I like how you were able to introduce some cool angles and some nice geometry. But I got a chance to peek at the legs that you welded up. And I want to ask you about those a little bit. So basically what it looks like to me is, did you just cut different pieces of steel rod at different lengths and then just kind of go after it and find how they mixed and matched together? Or did you kind of draw everything out and plan it? I definitely didn't plan it. Okay. That's what I I thought. In a good way, though. It looked very, yeah, it just looked very kind of improvised. I'm basically making two very complex hairpin legs that go on either side. So they're made out of uh, three eighths of an inch thick steel rod. And I want to look like that kind of very dynamic, angular steel truss. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to calculate precise lengths and then rely on my welding to get it all perfect, to have them held at at the perfect angle to make the whole thing level. So what I do is I cut a piece of plywood to use as sort of a template. The other thing that sort of complicates it is this is a sofa that doesn't have a flat seat. The seat of a lounge chair should be angled about 10 to 15 degrees mm-hmm. where it's a little mm-hmm. bit higher where your knees are and a little bit lower where your butt is. Right. So I cut a trapezoidal piece of plywood and then I just lined up and welded right on top of that to get the, the legs so that it'd be consistent. And then I just trimmed them off uh, right where they over, uh, overhung the plywood. So yeah. it was a, it looks complicated, but it's actually really simple because I'm just f- basically you tracing with welding right over a piece of plywood and then right. just cutting off whatever overhangs. Yeah, I really like that you've basically got you've got it to where all of these pieces of rod either connect at the front leg or the back leg, but it's like a kind of like a sunburst coming out of that where they're kind of like splaying out and, and, and doing their thing. It looks really cool. The other thing too is just foam is pretty cheap now. Mm-hmm. I feel like the 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 machines that are extruding all this kind of high density foam have become more prevalent. And I ordered two big pieces of foam to use for the back and for the seat cushion. And it was only like 60, 70 bucks from a foam factory. 
That's really cool. I'm going to have to check out that foam because it makes me think for the theater room that I'm working on in Oklahoma, I ordered a couple of twin size foam mattresses off of Amazon because those are also really yeah. cheap. You can get a twin size foam mattress for about 75 bucks. Right. And so for the theater room, I wanted to do a big sort of day bed kind of themed sectional so that people can just like really sprawl out and just watch movies and just totally be gross, lazy people. Um, <laughs> and so I'm curious, uh, now that I've checked out the foam that they use for the mattresses. I want to see how it compares to the foam that you used. I'm curious if it is the same thing or if it's different some way. Um, I don't know. I'll report back next week once I find out. We're going to have a foam off. Yeah, exactly. We'll figure out which one's better and then report back. Exactly. I I think it'll be hard to beat the value of the mattresses. And the other value of the mattresses is that you can get pre-made coverings for them. You don't have to worry about... You can get a fitted sheet that, that covers it. Whereas with... I think the reason why a lot of people in our kind of space avoid cushioned projects is because sewing adds yeah. another step. Big um, time. And it's like a whole new set of tools, a whole new thing to learn. Absolutely. Right. So I'm going to, I'm experimenting with Jesse's working on some canvas coverings that are sewn. And then I'm going to work on some felt and possibly leather covers for the cushions to see if that sort of works, which can either just sort of be hand-stitched with just a minimal amount of stitching or just come up with a clever way of folding a cutting and folding a cover around it. Right. It's the reason why I really like felt and leather is that you don't have to hem the edges. You can just kind of cut it and figure out a way to kind of attach it. Yeah, I'm going to have to show you a couple Pinterest posts that I have of some leather upholstery stuff that they've done. Uh, whether it's people that are doing things a little unorthodox or there's one person that basically folded it like a Christmas gift, similar to like what I tried doing on the Eames chair uh, that I did a while back and similar to the sofa that you did a long time ago, actually, right? You did that with the one that had the bar top on the backside of it. Um, But they folded it like a Christmas gift and then basically stitched the folds together. It was really interesting, Mm -hmm. but yeah, all that to say, I have my mom working on all the upholstery for the sofa while I am currently in California. Me and Ben have a secret project. Is it currently secret, Ben? It's secret-ish. It's a secret-ish project that we're going to let everyone know about next week because you can't talk about things until you're actually doing it. That's a lesson I've learned yeah. from experience. It's a lesson that I've learned from the godfather, Jimmy DeResta. Great piece of advice, and I probably should have taken it to heart when I heard him say it before I kind of just, you know, learned it the hard way. But but I am currently in California. That is how I saw the sofa that Ben's working on, all of that. I landed about an hour ago. I literally got off the plane, drove to the house, and then it was time to podcast. So Dedicated. I am here for, exactly, I'm here for a week. I'm taking a break from the attic to home theater conversion. Uh, I've got, like I said, I've got my mom doing a bunch of sewing while I'm gone so that things keep moving forward. Uh, but that project is going really great. I've got all of the, I've got the projector wall finished. I did the skim coat on that, which was a valuable thing to learn. It was not a ton of fun, but no. it was, it was mostly labor intensive. It wasn't hard. Right. So basically the walls in this attic are textured to match the rest of the house. Mm-hmm. And the drywallers also textured the wall that will be that we're going to be projecting onto because we're projecting straight onto the wall. And so 
one, that was a little disappointing because I was like, oh, dang, they were supposed to not do that. But I was gone while they were doing it. So I didn't I wasn't able to tell them to stop. And so I started looking on some some YouTube tutorials and I found a guy that does really great kind of renovation and construction tutorials. And long story short, the way you do a skim coat, which is essentially the same joint compound that you use to texture a wall or to mud and tape, you water it down a little bit and then you just get a a paint roller with a really heavy nap so it can really pick up a lot. And you literally just roll this onto the wall and then you get like a drywall knife and smooth everything out. Hmm. Then you come back, sand it, and then do that basically one or two more times to fill anything that you missed. But once I did all of that and sanded it and sanded it and sanded it, became the dustiest man alive for that day, painted it, and I have like the glassiest smooth wall in the world, which is, for one, just kind of cool because I'm happy it worked out. But with the idea that I want to do renovation content going forward, I would love to flip a house in the next year or so. It's cool to know that it's just time. It's just time and effort. Like it's not anything that I would have to hire out. It's not anything that's going to take spe- or special tools. So skim coating is awesome. Yeah, I'm really happy about that. <laughs> but that that project's moving along really well. And yeah, I guess that's it. I can't tell you about the special project. I was about to start diving into that, but I got to just like keep my lips sealed. Have you got to <laughs> test the projector on the wall yet? I have, and it looks great. We nice. painted it with a projector paint, which I don't know what even makes it special, but Maybe it like looks... super matte or something? It is super matte, and it's a light gray, yeah. so it's lighter than charcoal, similar to the shirt you're wearing, Chris, Ooh. for those who can't see it, everyone, in, <laughs> everyone everybody that's other listening. Other two of us. Exactly. It's a light gray color. Uh, from what I learned and from what I heard, because I called the company and was just asking some information. What they were telling me is if you're in a space that has a lot of natural or ambient light, so if you're in a room that's got a window or something like that, you want to paint it black because all of that extra light is going to really wash out your blacks Mm -hmm. uh, from the projector. But if you're in a room that's pretty controlled, and even though I'm using white walls, a light gray is a little bit more appropriate. It helps get the blacks a little bit more liquid, Mm -hmm. having that gray instead of just painting it white. But you're right. It is really, really low gloss so that you don't get a lot of reflecting or glaring or anything like that. Yeah. And are you, it's windowless where you are in that Exactly. Okay. There, there was a window in the room, but I covered it up. Oh, nice. Get yeah. That, that full theater effect going. Yeah. Well, the window was on the wall that oh, I would be projecting onto. So I know it was a casualty of casualty of renovation. Yeah. Had to do it. Nice. So, uh, yeah. I hear we have a very special sponsor this week. A very special sponsor. Let's hear something from them. Do you have hair? Do you sometimes fix it to look more fashionable? Then you should use the Modern Builds Handmade Pomade. That's right, people. A new label, and I'm telling you, this stuff is the same great formula, but just in a better package. Uh, (laughs) You know, this sponsor is not paying us enough. (laughs) No, they're they're paying me really, really well. So yeah, uh, if you guys don't know, I have a pomade. I use it every day of my life. And if you're interested in stepping up your hair game, then I highly recommend it. All you have to do is go to anchorshairco.com slash modern builds. Once again, that is anchors, like a boat, hairco.com slash modern builds. Couldn't make the landing page, huh? (laughs) No, I mean, you can do that too, but I'm just... (laughs) 
you can also go to the home page <laughs> just click over uh, the mic. but i'm just sending them direct here you know yeah um but if you're interested in checking it out, uh, it's what I used. We developed it together. It was uh, it was actually a really fun experience doing it. But we just got new labels. You can find them on my Instagram. You the jar is label, really, right? really great. I did design that label, yeah. I wish I made the line weight a little heavier. I think that's something that we've learned about designing labels. Yeah, let's talk about that really quick. <laughs> yeah. So whether it's the handmade pomade by Modern Builds in collaboration with Anchors Hair Co. available at... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, whether it's that or the Simple Finish labels. So I designed this. Chris, you designed the Simple yeah. Finish label. And it's something that we've experienced both ways is things read a little bit bolder or a little bit more clearly when whenever you're looking graphic. at it on a computer. Yeah. When you're looking at the graphic then before it gets scaled down and printed on a label. So any product designers or label designers out there, I'm sure you've already figured this out, but if you don't know, now you do. Yeah, go a little bit further than how far you think you should go, I think is is a, a good safe rule to live by. And by Absolutely, the way, so, so yeah. This is probably be a confusing moment for if you guys didn't already know that Mike had a pomade, because they might really think this is a commercial. But this is a commercial. I really do have no, a pomade. He really does. Yeah, he really does have a pomade, but this is not really a sponsored read that we're no, doing. That's why we're This isn't it. a sponsored read. We didn't have a sponsor this episode, so I just like slid in like, and, hey, and took the opportunity. Opp- that's what we should do every episode, just to always have a sponsor. If we don't have something, one of us has to hawk something that we have. We like, just hey, pl- <laughs> I threw some yeah. stuff up on offer up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Out. Or it's like today's sponsor, Chris's Patreon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we do um, so have anyways, a question. I was about to say, so that's that ad read. Thanks for sitting through it, guys. We promise we'll have some real sponsors soon. I know y'all are missing oh, out man. on that. So. That's what the people are gunning for. Yeah. <laughs> so, should we get to our question? Let's do it. We should. Hey, wait, wait, All right. I got something we could talk about before we get to the question. And that's something I've noticed from Ben. Whenever like he's like super excited about something, he'll really... You can really tell because he's like very enthusiastic and wants to talk about it. And so you've been on a crazy bamboo plywood kick for the past 24 hours. (laughs) So let's dive in. Let's talk about some bamboo plywood. All right. So bamboo plywood is a material that I became familiar with in the early 2000s. So when I was studying architecture, we were researching a lot of green building materials and bamboo kept popping up because you can harvest the bamboo in like three to seven years and produce a really nice plywood product from it, which is way faster than traditional sort of a, a forestry products. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense environmentally. And the material is actually really, really cool. It has, you know, the way they sort of make this plywood, there aren't as many layers as traditional plywood. They make a three quarter inch thick sheet of it with just three layers crisscrossed. So it almost looks like a butcher block kind of product because uh, yeah. they, they strip the bamboo down into staves, I think they're called, that are yep. one eighth of an inch thick and then cross laminate them all together. So it got a little bit played out in the architecture in the interior design scene around 2010. You started seeing in every new juice shop, every kind of like uh, retail space, a lot of hotel lobbies and stuff were all using this material because it came as a sheet good, but it has it has a really nice looking edge condition, so you don't have to edge band it. Mm-hmm. So of course people are like, ah, it like is in between a plywood and a hardwood product, and it was novel, so it, it almost got overused and then it kind of fell off. Uh, right. You'll still see a lot of bamboo flooring and stuff like that. 
but it never really made its way mainstream into sort of woodworking, even though it offers a lot of really cool options, particularly for, for what we sort of do. The thing I've been interested in about it recently is that it has a cool potential for CNC projects because you can reveal different layers because the layers are so thick and predictable. You can carve through one layer and expose the different grain orientation on the layer below. Yeah. So for the three quarter inch thick plywood, the it'll have sort of a very straight grain on the top layer. And then the layer below that, the middle layer, the grain is at a 90 degree angle to the top layer. Right. So if you mm-hmm. reveal, if you cut through the top layer, which is about an eighth of an inch thick, you'll reveal this other layer beneath it. So that le- and that middle layer can be about half an inch thick. So you could really, whereas with like, you know, traditional plywoods, all the layers are like yeah. a little bit less than an eighth of an inch. So you'd really have to dial in that CNC to kind of do it. And How the middle layers are kind of crappy. Yeah. Um, so this offers some really cool options for for getting some cool visual patterns and textures by contrasting the direction of the grain by going just a little bit more than an eighth of an inch deep. So from what I understand, bamboo plywood is three layers, like what you said. You've got your two face veneers and then a really thick inner core, right? Right. And so, that inner core, is it, uh, like aesthetically, is it it's the same as, as nice as the other two? It's the same. So they're all Okay, because just- that's the thing. I was about to say, because that's the thing with a lot of... I don't know about Baltic birch, but whether you get like radiata pl- pine or you get, you know, cheaper plywoods, a lot of times you have like ugly inner veneers that right. are kind of, well, they're just like not awesome to cut into and reveal. But if that's not the case in bamboo, that totally opens up a ton of options. Right. So the challenge right now is price. So okay. it retails from anywhere about 175 to $200 for a four foot by eight foot by three quarter inch sheet. But Wow. Okay. Think of that more like you're getting a sheet of hardwood rather than a sheet of plywood because that's what it's right. – it's also very strong and lightweight. Or it's like you're getting a sheet of grass. Right. Because <laughs> it's grass. I'm kidding. <laughs> so the – Grass worker. That yeah, made exactly. me look into – so I, I've been talking to a bunch of different retailers. One, if there's anyone out there that produces bamboo that wants to be a bamboo sponsor, hit us up. Hit up. We'll yeah. work with you. But when I saw that sort of price point, I started reaching out on Alibaba to people that are producing it, to to wholesalers. Right. And I'm still working out the minimum quantity, but if you order it at wholesale, you can get it for about $85 to $90 a sheet, which is excellent. So I am, am still researching the options, but I'm trying to figure out the minimum order quantities. But if you're in the Southern California area, sort of San Diego to Santa Barbara, L.A., you know, inland sort of empire area. Willing to drive and, to Joshua Tree. Right. Well, it, it would probably get shipped to L.A. And okay. So I'm thinking about ordering a large quantity because it's, I mean, it's, it's less than half the price. And right. You know, doling it out at cost to kind of split up a, right. a massive order. So a if you're a woodworker on. in this sort of Southern California area and are interested, just hit us up on the Modern Maker podcast Instagram and uh, let us know how many sheets you would want. Ben's Bamboo Co-op. There we go. So I've got a question. You mentioned whenever bamboo started getting really popular commercially, were those people going through a wholesaler that 
So like the people that they would go through, say I've got a commercial building and I'm ordering an insane amount of plywood. Are they getting it at the same price that you would be getting it from Alibaba? No, or they, are, they'd be are you it. getting it even further upstream? They, they'd be they'd be buying it from a company like Terragrin or Plyboo mm-hmm. or something like that or Cali Bamboo. They're yeah. all very reputable suppliers of it, but their their wholesale prices are still above like $160 a, a wow. sheet. Okay, that's what I was curious but about. Com- commercial budgets for interiors and stuff are pretty high. They're way higher than like residential. Totally. Yeah, and speaking of residential like bamboo plywood. So, me being I was born in 95, and so by the time I had gotten to the point where I, I was aware of you know, whether it was just like things from an interior design sense or just a design sense overall, I had already been exposed to bamboo plywood. But the way I was, was like what you were talking about, whether it was like a salon or kind of like a commercial space or like a, like a Microsoft or Apple store kind of thing. Right. And so like, I never really got the appeal from a design or an architecture sense. It was never novel. Right. It was never, I, I missed that wave. I only hit the like commercial wave and you talking about residential reminded me of a year or so ago, Frank Howarth, who we've talked about before on this podcast. We love him. He does great. He built out his entire kitchen, I think, using bamboo plywood. And that was the first time that I had really seen it in in a home without it being too overplayed mm-hmm. and it looking really, really good and just not being anything that was over the top, but just really worked in, but still looked unique. Good stuff. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting product, and I, I am starting to get more interested in not so much like sustainability for the oh, let's save the planet kind of way. Although obviously that's important, it's a but, good byproduct, right? I mean, there's a, a lot of the resources we use in woodworking are finite or very slow to replenish, and if there are nice aesthetic options that are a little bit faster, that's really interesting. We're also in sort of talks with a sustainable teak plantation in Costa Mm -hmm. Rica on working on a possible collaboration. Because what I didn't realize is that they're in some of those places down there, they're harvesting teak logs at as young as sort of 10 to 12 years. Right. Because things grow so so fast down in the the rainforest. So I think it's sort of an interesting angle to, to sort of look at things is not getting too pious about it, but... Sort of moderate responsibility, I think, is a sort of an attractive quality in, in making things. Totally. It's like casual recycling. You don't have to be the guy that goes crazy, but you can do like a little bit more effort and that can go a long way if a lot of people did that. Right. Yeah, totally. Cool. So we got some quests or a question? Yes. So this is from Watch Me DIY It on Instagram. And if you have a question for us, just DM us at Modern Maker Podcast on Instagram. Yes. So it's it's actually two questions. First, do you have any updates on the next challenge? Uh, mm-hmm. Not at the moment. We're, it looks like it's going to be a bent lamination challenge. We're still working out with some sponsors to get a good prize package for everybody. But I would say sometime over the next three to four months. Yes. Into the spring, summer. Like yeah. late spring, no later than very early summer. Sounds and realistic. Now that yep. people are sort of know that it's going to be around bent lamination. I think that's actually a good thing because people can start thinking. They're not rushed to come up with an, I- with an idea. So it's going to be about bent lamination. Start thinking totally. about those ideas and then we'll announce it. And you've got plenty of time to to let those ideas percolate. 
Yep. Or like do a couple tests, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then the second part of the question is, when you decide to collaborate with someone on a video project, what factors do you consider? What factors do you consider when you accept a request to collaborate? Ergo, channel size, do you subscribe to him or her, same or different genre? Uh, I hope my question makes it into the podcast, and thanks for making great content. Well, you're welcome. And Mike, what do you consider when you're accepting a collaboration request? Well, I think there's a lot that goes into it, and I... I think there's a lot of different things to consider. So something that I think could be interesting to kind of give everyone context is maybe we could go through and talk about the first time that we collaborated with someone else, whether it was something on your own channel or someone else's channel or any any version of that. And then maybe talk about what we learned from that first experience versus how we look at it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- so... Well, yeah, Chris, if you've got it, the, like, what was the first time you collaborated? So here, actually, when you just said that, it, it made me think of something. So I think the first okay. one that I did was Johnny Brook, if, if okay. I'm remembering correctly. At least that was like the first like legit one where we were working on a project together and, and all that stuff. And it was a really good experience. So like, there's nothing that I was like, oh, man, we really blew it doing whatever <laughs> we did. And I, I need to make sure I didn't, I don't do that again. But right now, I'm actually talking like me and Sean Boyd have been talking a lot more lately and we have mm-hmm. very similar styles. And so like, I definitely want to, he's somebody that I would love to work with. So yeah, give him a plug. What's his Instagram? Sean Boyd made this. Yes. I think that's his Instagram. That's what he is on YouTube. I'm, I'm sure if you search that, you'll find him and it's S H A U N I think is how there's like, let's hope so. There's 19 different ways to spell Sean. I'm pretty sure that's the one. And yeah. who knows how to spell Boyd, but anyway, um, so we're working on something right now and to go back to the original question of like, what are the different factors you consider? I think it's actually much more simple than that. And it just comes down to like, do I want to work with this person? Oh, really? And if, okay. If it's yes or no, that kind of determines it. And so like, he is somebody that I would love to work with. His channel is on the smaller size just because it's a little bit newer. And we don't have the exact same style, but I think that it's the type of thing, like if you like his style, you'll probably like my style and vice versa. And like the production quality and all that. So I feel like he's somebody whose channel can get a big boost by doing a collaboration with me. Like, I feel like I'm in a a good position to help his channel out a lot. And yeah, so like that, you guys would have a lot of crossover. I, exactly. Yeah, I think we'll have a lot of crossover. And because he's newer, it's like there's a lot of people watching me right now that would really dig his stuff if they just got a chance to see it. So cool. that makes me like really want to do it. And so thinking about how we're going to collaborate and considering that factor going into it I feel like the standard is always like oh yeah come down here and like you'll build a project and I'll build a project but I was thinking like is that really the way if the goal of this is like I want to help him out as much as possible by doing this and give him the biggest boost that I can give him I think a better way to go about it is Sean you build a project that's like very much like your bread and butter kind of project take the time that you would spend doing it get it all done have it ready to go then come out and let's work on something together so that instead of like you just kind of being in the background while I'm doing my thing, you can be a bigger part of this build and they'll get like more of you screen time with you and get more used to seeing you and then put out that certified banger video of yours that you'll have ready yeah. to go at the same time. That way the project that they're seeing of him is more like indicative of his normal kind of thing and what he likes to do rather than like a watered down version that he was trying to rush to do in a collaboration. Yeah, I totally agree in the sense that not doing a quick project for the sake of it or sacrificing what you would typically do for the collaboration, I think is really important. 
Yeah. Uh, that was something that I learned from my first collaboration, which was a long time ago. It was probably like three years ago now, and it was with Douglas from the channel Retro Weld. Mm-hmm. So this was at a point where I was doing a lot more basic DIY than I was than I am now. I was not doing any welding, any metalworking, but I had an idea for a hall stand, which is basically what you would put in an entryway to your house or a mudroom. Basically like a bench with shoe storage underneath and then coat racks up top. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to build it out of galvanized pipe. Ben, you were doing a lot of that at the time. And I was like, man, I got to get in on that a little bit. And so I did one project with it, but then kind of just realized that it wasn't my jam. And so I really never did any more. But whenever Douglas reached out to see if I was interested in collaborating, I told him that that was what I was planning on building next. And he was like, weird coincidence because... In the same time period, he was doing coat hooks out of railroad ties Mm -hmm. that he stuck into his forge and also twisted. And so what he was able to do was make an independent video on making these coat hooks out of twisted railroad spikes. And that was great. That was good content for his channel. It was kind of his bread and butter, what he normally does. And it was its own little encapsulated project. But he then shipped those to me, and instead of just using ready-made or some kind of DIY coat hook, I used the ones that he made on my hall stand. Mm -hmm. And so in that, I learned a few things. One, we weren't on camera together. It was literally just kind of like a virtual collaboration in that sense. Yeah. And it worked well, but it didn't do anything major for either of us because it was was so hands-off. So I think the way you're talking about having Sean more involved in the filming and the creative process, I think that that's great. Yeah. Because that was something I learned from mine. And to backpack off of that, my second collaboration experience was with Johnny Brook in Asheville, North Carolina. And I think this was, in terms of getting together to shoot one video or one big project, I think this was the best way we could have done it. It was myself with Johnny Brook, and then a third, Kressel Anderson from the YouTube channel Maker Size. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's like exercise, but maker combined. Not like S-I-Z-E, but C-I-S-E. And Kressel has a relatively unique set of skills in that he does a lot of casting uh, with different metals, but in this case, we're doing molten aluminum. And so he was planning on being in town the same time I was, and so that worked out perfectly. We were brainstorming ideas, what we could do, and this was right around the time that Live Edge River Tables were really starting to pop off. Mm-hmm. And so our idea was a molten metal river table. And so we got up, we got a bunch of scrap aluminum, got a nice oak slab, prepped it and everything, and then used Kressel's unique skill to do all of that. I had never welded, or I had welded once prior to this, but I was doing a really poor job at it. And at this time period, Johnny Brook had just kind of gotten his legs under him in terms of welding. Mm-hmm. So even though I didn't play an in, a huge process in the content production, I got so much useful information learning how to weld because the video I got out of the collaboration was DIY hairpin legs. Yeah. So we made a jig to bend three quarter inch round steel rod and then, you know, cut out the plates and just made like a traditional hairpin leg. The only thing we did differently was instead of have a five or 10 degree splay to the legs, we bumped it all the way to 15 degrees uh, just to make it a little bit more dramatic. But that collaboration was great in that 
we all got projects that we wouldn't have done on our own. Yeah, I think, and I think that might be. That I don't know if that point. is. I don't think that's the key, but I think that's one way of doing it for like ultimate success. Yeah, so that everyone is learning from each other and trying new stuff. That's definitely a good like upsell to doing it. So like. I still stand by like, it is going to boil down to like, do I want to work with this person? And is it going to be fun and all that stuff? And so like when I worked with Mike Clifford on the Lego table, that was my main reason again for wanting to do it. But like the, one of the very, a pot sweetener, I guess you could call it would be that like, you know, he knows a lot about concrete and I had never worked with concrete and there's no way that I would have had the confidence to try that Lego table on my own. Be like, I hey, this is a good right. first project to try out a concrete, but having him <laughs> there and like knowing that he understands that side of things was a really good opportunity to like jump into the deep end on something that would normally I take agree. you six months or whatever to like work your way up to wanting to try something that crazy. So it's like a, I don't know, you hit the accelerator button on, on trying something new. Yeah, that was similar whenever I collaborated with him as well. It was just like, all right, let's we're we, if you're coming out, we're doing GFRC. So like, let's yeah. figure out what the project is. Exactly. So that's kind of funny. I guess with a collaboration, certain times it's, I want to learn something from this person. Other times this person has an opportunity to learn from me maybe. Yeah. So I guess that's what it is. It's like, one, is it a person that you want to collaborate with? And then two, what's the beneficial thing for both of you, right? Right. What do you have to offer the other person? What do they have to offer you? Yeah. So what about you, Ben? What was what was your first collaboration? Ben's a lone wolf. Was it with Jesse? I mean, I guess it would be like Jesse, right? I think it was with Coco Rocha, who's a, oh, okay. a, a, a supermodel. And it was one of the one of the first people that was sort of in the public sphere that sort of reached out and recognized my work. Um, so this was pretty early on. And I went to her sort of country house uh, outside of uh, New York City. And we built some bucket stools to use as side tables for, for our home. And there wasn't really an intent any other than it was just, it felt nice to be recognized by someone that, you know, has a lot of options. Right. And it was an interesting sort of experiment and content of sort of teaching someone how to do something in real time and filming it and figuring all that out. So here's a question. That was a while ago. How, that was like two, three years ago, right? Yeah. So uh, it was, yeah, probably like four years ago. I know, man. Time flies. That's so insane. But anyways. Mike was in well, fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, what, were, what was that like, though? Teaching, because I, I have to assume she had never done a concrete project before. So what was that like? Kind of trying to strip it down to like beginner level, like ultimate beginner level. Uh, it was fun. Um, I mean, one, it's a really simple project, so it's it's the appropriate project for that. Totally. So that part was all fine. I think the thing, my takeaway from that was, I mean, she's legitimately famous. Right. And I think the thing that I took away from it is this, just because somebody with a massive following, I mean, you know, uh, millions of followers post your stuff on Instagram and stuff like that, it doesn't necessarily build audience the way people think it does. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think what I took away from from that sort of experience was it was fun and I'm glad I did it, but it wasn't this like, oh my God, that's what sort of broke me or or sort of built up a thing. It probably gave me an extra like 800 Instagram followers, which was fine. I mean, I I was just like 
happy to sort of collaborate with someone that has a different creative background yeah. um, and sort of build out the network that way. I think that was what I, the, the lesson I took early on was, you know, don't look at collaborations as something that's going to break you or, or, right. or sort of make your, your name or build your audience because it's really about the, the creative. Now, if we had done something that was more original, like let's say we collaborated and did the Lego project with her, the Lego and concrete project, which I hadn't done yet at that time, her amplification could have helped launch that. But just because I had her sort of sharing the project and sort of posting about it, I mean, this was a long time ago. This was before Instagram stories and all that stuff too. So it was just like, a, you know, Instagram cross promotion. Um, so for me, having that sort of first experience being like, okay, that's cool. It's fun. It made me really think, well, if I do collaborations, one, the most important thing is honestly going to be schedule. Does the timing line up versus the other stuff that I'm, I'm doing? I don't have a lot of empty slots in the calendar. So t- scheduling and timing would be the first criteria. Uh, the second would be, am I going to learn something? You know, and, you know, if, if, if it's a, especially if it's going to be collaborating around a singular project. So a great example was Jason Andrade came down to help with the solar powered tool shed. And it's yeah. fant- it was a fantastic collaboration because he has an intense amount of knowledge in electrical systems and renewable energy, solar, battery storage, and all those things. So it was fantastic collaborating with him because I'm literally building out the structures for the shed and he's telling me how to sort of do and install the solar panels and all this kind of stuff. So that was a very, uh, you know, regardless of, wh- of how the video performed, that would be a, an incredibly valuable collaboration. Mm-hmm. So th- those kind of things are, I think, the, the, the most important factors for me is sort of timing, schedule, and then am I going to learn something? The, the audience stuff is, I don't think that important at all. And I think if the, if the creative idea is good or if it's allowing you to do a project that you otherwise couldn't do on your own, that's all that matters. Because if you do something creative, it doesn't matter how big the other person's audience size is. If the project's a certified banger and has unique creative, yeah, it'll, it'll perform quite well. So I, I don't think that, you know, and then again, I like passive collaboration where it's just a bunch of people in the same kind of space and vicinity kind of working on their own, but that creates the sort of casual off time to kind of, you know, talk shop, grab a cup of coffee, sort of compare ideas. Well, I think that's kind of what you were talking about with the idea of if you do a single collaboration or a couple videos together, there might be a little bit of audience trading, but realistically, it's not going to be a major needle mover. If if you look back, you know, it, you know, over the course of the year, that's not going to be a thing that you're probably going to notice really huge. And I think we, me and you, Ben, prior to moving out to Joshua Tree, we had both done enough collaborations individually that we had recognized that. So it was a thing that whenever we moved into the house and started building out furniture for the house, it was never this thing where it's like, all right, Ben, this week we're building a dining table together. But it worked out really great that in that dining table video, you still made like three cameos, like moving some lumber, helping me. Uh, Jesse made a cameo stripping down all the two by fours or cutting all the rounded edges off of the two by fours. And it was a thing where, yeah, it wasn't a huge collaboration in the sense of us working together physically, but 
I think the big benefit that we've gotten out of collaborating over the course of the year is just that. It's sharing ideas, it's brainstorming, and it's having someone having someone's opinion you trust to bounce and get honest feedback from. Yeah. So if it's someone that, you know, whether you respect their design sense or the way that they build things, it's just having some sort of mutual agreement that both of our opinions are valid and they're worth listening to and considering. Yeah. It's funny. If I look back at like the performance and and what I got out of doing those collaborations, they have performed quite a bit better than like an average video would, but I don't think it's because of the collaboration directly. I think it's the indirect fact that if you're going to like, you know, okay, you're taking the time out of your schedule to fly out here. We're doing all this thing. Like, let's really think about this project. It almost just like forces you to put more thought into it. Like that's the same reason as a sort of analogy. I always think Pixar movies are so well-written, like their scripts are so tight and like all any joke that's in there is going to like be perfectly executed. And it's because think of how much time is going to go into if something isn't tight, like it's going to yeah. take us like four days to animate that crappy thing. Let's <laughs> tighten this up before we start animating it. So totally. you know, four days of just like rendering it, not to mention the work that goes into it. There's probably months that go into anything like that. So yeah, it's like that extra pressure just makes you up your performance a little bit. And then because you upped your performance, it ends up, you get more out of it. Yeah. I also think that, I know you said this question was a two-parter, but I feel like it might be a three-parter and the next part's going to be, and can I collaborate with you guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that that's the other thing too, is that I don't want to say that collaboration isn't a valuable way of audience building. It's probably the most valuable though, when you're just getting started. Yeah. Like a collaboration would be, for for me and Mike to collaborate on a single video for any reason other than the creative or because it requires a lot of labor or, or two-person kind of tasks isn't going to help our channels that much. Or proportionally. It, right. it would It's better just to get two videos. But if if we collab with someone that's literally just getting started that, you know, has 100 subscribers or something like that, then, you know... If we get them a few thousand subscribers, that's 20xing where they're at. So that's, a, that's incredibly valuable. So I'm, I'm aware of that. And, you know, I try to sort of, you know, be as helpful to others as possible. But again, it really comes down to sort of schedule and timing. That being said, when you ask for collaborations, if you are someone that's just getting started and wants those too, just be aware of like, what are the, what are the ways where you can make it mutually beneficial? So like Instagram stories are a great way to do shout outs that aren't as intensive or uh, require the same amount of coordination as a, you know, a structured build video that involves travel and editing and all those kind of things. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of ways to sort of to collaborate with people with larger audiences and do it in a way that it's not uh, becomes onerous or sort of too one-sided. Not that things, you know, things are never completely fair and, and that's okay. Like, but you just don't want to make a habit of it, of constantly trying to sort of, you know, uh, uh, reach up. Yeah. That being said, we are in talks with a pretty well-known stand-up comedian and podcaster to yeah. build out his podcast studio. And that's a kind of collaboration that we we do find interesting because one, we can be useful because we are providing a skill set and a service that 
this person doesn't have. Uh, they're in the content game, you know, YouTube, podcast, and then live appearances and stuff like that. Yep. So, and it's also someone that I'm a fan of. Uh, so it, it'll it'll be fun to to sort of interact with and, and do all that kind of stuff. So I would yeah. say that the 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 collaborations I'm looking at or that I sort of pursue are people that are often outside of the kind of DIY woodworking space. Yeah, and it's similar to the, I guess you would call like collaboration that we did with Gary V. Like he's definitely not in the space or the world that we're in, but it all came about right around the time that we were launching Maker Brand. And for a guy that literally owns a gigantic marketing firm, it was great talking and uh, meeting him and getting everything that we got out of that collaboration was beneficial to us. It was beneficial to them. It got me a great video. It got you a good video. And so everyone's happy. <laughs> And so mine was great. Yours was good. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. A decent video. No. Yeah. And so the idea of, you know, who you, whoever you were just speaking about then, or the idea of reaching out and finding people out of your space that you're both interested in what each other are doing yeah. is really fun because it doesn't matter who you are. If you're interested in each other, you're going to find ways that you can learn from each other. And I think that's the big thing from collaborations. It's either for me, finding someone that has a skill in making that you don't or finding a person that you can learn other life skills from. And, uh, and yeah, and I think everyone would be very happy about that. But Amen. awesome. So thank you guys for that question. If you want to send us any more, you can hit us up at Modern Maker Podcast on Instagram. Yes, sir. Speaking of Instagram, maybe Netflix, maybe YouTube. HBO Go. What's something that you're obsessed with lately? You got anything for us? If not, I've got one right now. Let's you go it. and I'll go next. All right. All right. It's it's apparently Netflix just bought up a bunch of Seth Rogen movies, I think, because no. I'm seeing a few in the in my home feed. Observe and report. Have you guys ever seen this? No. It's it's an early one, right? It's a very early Seth Rogen film. Like it's prior to anything I had seen. Like it's pre Pineapple Express for sure. Okay. It's hilarious. It's very, very inappropriate. Don't watch this with your kids. But it's incredibly funny and also incredibly inappropriate. I don't think they could have made that movie today, but it's good. I liked it a lot. I watched it on the, I watched it on the flight here. Observe and report. Yeah. I'll check it out. He's ben. a mall cop. It's like the oh, precursor to Paul, Paul Blart, Blart mall cop, but like actually <laughs> a lot the, more funny. The prequel. You so, can watch Paul Blart with your family. Don't this watch this with your this family. inspired Paul Blart. Exactly. So mine is some music. It's a Ooh. new album that I've been listening to on repeat it's by jenny lewis she's uh was formerly of the band of uh, rilo kelly mm, um and it's her new album this came out just i think like uh last month and it's called on the line and it's fantastic and if you like cleavage i believe the album cover is her cleavage or nice. somebody's i don't know if it's hers they might have collaborated <laughs> that's true that's a collab yeah <laughs> uh mine is a movie this one's a little bit older, but I think it's a classic. Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> I've actually never seen that before. I have seen it. Is there a two? I think there's a two, right? I think so, yes. So good they had to make a sequel. Actually, so let's see. Things I've been watching lately. Crashing. Have you guys ever watched that show on HBO? No, oh, but Holmes? I've heard of yeah, it. Yeah, Pete Holmes. It's funny. It's in oh, like that's the third it. Yeah. season right now. And it was nice because I hadn't had HBO go in a while. And I was like preparing for Game of Thrones to come back. So I was seeing, oh man, look, there's a whole new season of Crashing that's like seven episodes in. So got to binge watch like three episodes a night for the past couple nights to get caught up on that. 
perfect. It's just like a, a nice little half hour comedy. It's about a guy who's grew up like very Christian, but wanted to be a comedian. So then he moved out to New York and he's kind of like learning the ropes. And, and there's a lot of cameos from other comedians in there. It's, it's a good show. I highly recommend. Certified Banger. Wow, certified banger. And speaking of certified banger, we gotta we're working stickers. on we're working on those stickers. Chris is designing them currently. We're going to get some printed up. I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about that. We don't know what we'll do with them, but we're going to have them. We're, we got we're ideas. Gonna, listen, I'm not going to solicit podcast reviews until we get the stickers because that's and how we're that going to do the first round of them. Get a certified banger sticker. Exactly. Cool. Uh Great. If you have any other topics or questions or ideas that you would like to hear us talk about, you can find us on Instagram at Modern Maker Podcast collectively, like I've already said. But individually, we are at Modern Builds, at Benjamin Ueda, and at Four Eyes Furniture. There you can find what we're working on. You can see our Instagram stories. You can see our posts. But if you want to see our build videos, you got to find that on YouTube. Modern Builds, Four Eyes Furniture, and Homemade Homemade Modern. Modern. I almost said Ben Ueda. I got close. I I could feel it. Exactly. If you want to pick up some handmade pomade, you just got to go to anchor hair co- anchorshairco.com/modernbuilds, get the hair right and uh, yeah, thanks yeah, it's just that really sponsor. great. Thanks for that sponsor, yeah. <laughs> All right everybody, I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you next week on the Modern Maker podcast. Bye everybody. Good night. Bye. Or good day. Bye. <laughs> Whenever you're listening. Whenever you're listening.